Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. At this point, I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to um, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 to 24, and we're also, of course, in Exodus chapter 20. Colossians 1 and Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're continuing in our series in the Ten Commandments, and today we're going to be looking a little bit deeper at the Sixth Commandment. And one of the key themes as we look at each commandment is looking at the freedom that it draws us into. Before the reading, though, let's come before God again in prayer. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us on a level path. Teach us, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Equip us to keep them to the end. Give us understanding that we may keep your law and obey it with all our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. First. Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers of authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firmed, and do not move from the hope that is held by the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, Exodus chapter 20, be focusing on verse 13, but reading the passage here. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today's passage... Uh, that we were focusing in on, particularly verse 13 of of Exodus 20, was planned several months ago, and the command was quite simply that command of do not murder. Normally, this command carries a lot of distance for most of us. Um, Our lives are 
protected from such tragedies. And the, the command kind of just sits there as a real obvious statement. However, in light of last week's tragic events, many in our community have been reminded that attached to this command is this deep care for the preservation of life and of community. Behind the command, do not, is an awareness of the hurt, the sorrow, and the pain of death. It acknowledges the brokenness of the world that we live in, and it speaks of a society where these sorts of things happen the vulnerability of humanity, and the impact that we can have on others for good or for evil. On more than one occasion, uh, we've, I've had conversations this week that have started with the line, what do you say in a time like this? And the answer implied is nothing. And there's truth to that. Uh, we don't have neat and tidy answers for the sorrow and the loss that many are feeling. There's no pat answers to immediately solve our mixed emotions and feelings. And when we look at God's word, we don't find that it requires that we ignore this part of ourselves either. Uh, the Bible simply asks that we bring our whole selves with our questions, our hurt, and our pain before God. So this morning, let's just take a moment uh, to do that. Uh, to affirm in prayer the heart behind this passage, the tragedy found in violence, in hatred, and in death. There's a divine rejection of all of this, of sorrow and of hurt. So rather than starting with an explanation, let's just begin in prayer. Lord, we come before you with lament. We lament that we live in a world where commands of do not murder are necessary, where hatred, anger, and death are present, where we experience loss and whole communities are affected. In a time where we have frustration and no full answers, we call out the ancient words of how long. How long do we live in the midst of injustice? We call upon you that you are present to the families that have been so deeply impacted in the past week. Bring your comfort and your peace. May those impacted be surrounded by a community that actively shows love through patient standing with them and gentle care. For the broader community too, guide us and give us the healing that we need. We pray this in your name. Amen. The title that I had given for this message um, was Freedom to Love Your Neighbor. And, and we're going to continue in that direction, in looking at what this command ultimately drives us towards. The commandment reminds us of our duty to one another, that we are called into relationships that bring healing, that that undo the things that, that come towards us and try to take us and pull us apart. I think back to the question that Cain asked God, uh, am I my brother's keeper? And the implication in that early passage in Genesis was that we are all our brother's keepers, that we all have this duty to be keepers of one another. We are meant to be seeking the welfare of each person. 
And, and this, this positive direction and understanding the Ten Commandments has always been part of the Christian tradition. And this shows up especially in, in the Heidelberg Catechism that we've been following uh, for the last number of weeks. This, this summary of Christian teaching uh, turns towards the Ten Commandments in how we are to live in grateful living. When it turns to the Ten Commandments, though, it asks a very particular type of question. What is God's will for you in each commandment? The question is not, what are the confines of this commandment? The question is not, what are the things that I need to do or avoid doing to show that I am a Christian? But it's one that seeks God's will. It seeks to look beyond the commandment itself into what is God desiring for his people. Put in other words, asking what God's will is invites us to ask, what are we freed into? What are we freed into as people under God's salvation? When the catechism responds to the sixth commandment, the first two answers, um, it's answered in three different question and answers. Uh, the first two make sure to point out that God's will is not only that we are free from murder, but that we are free from hatred and anger, where we keep close watch on the things that we speak to one another and even the things that we think about each other. And, and there's a lot of practical application that we can already draw from that. Uh, when we pay attention to these things, and if we're honest with ourselves, I think that we can find envy and vindictiveness or even hatred uh, creeping up in our hearts at times. And this, when it's left unchecked, uh, leads to misery. I'm, I think of uh, Proverbs 14, verse 30. which says, A tranquil mind gives life to the flesh, but jealousy makes the bones rot. Um, I like the, the visual imagery kind of in there, these descriptive images, in contrast to this joy-filled life, this tranquil life that we were meant for, when we allow jealousy and, and other things to stay within us, it leads to rot and decay. This isn't about some blind following of rules when we look at the Ten Commandments, but it's about pursuing the life that is truly life. Following jealousy, sometimes we, we look at kind of these revenge narratives and all of that, and that gives them the strength. It makes them stronger to pursue something. But we see in the biblical understanding, the biblical worldview, that it doesn't make us stronger, but makes us weaker. It, it reminds me of a little of that image that we started off with, that these, these desires can take us the wrong way. They can actually cage us in. And what we need is both freedom from that and freedom towards something else. We see in the Christian call, it is a modeling of freedom in the midst of all of this. And the freedom that the New Testament talks about in so many different places. The one passage that we're going to look it in at today is Colossians chapter 1. And this is a central passage in looking at the scope of the freedom that Jesus brings. Looking at verse 19, it says, 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here we have this sense of peace is, is made here through what Jesus has done on the cross. And the thing that it draws us towards isn't just one thing here, but it is all things are impacted by this. Absolutely everything has been drawn into this reconciliation through what Christ has done on the cross. And this all things, when we look at it, especially when we look towards the next lines that come right after this, includes the renewal of our own minds, how we think and how we behave Look at what it says next in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, do not move from the hope that's held out to you in the gospel. Notice the freedom that is named here. It's, it's a freedom from. We are freed from ourselves. We are freed from our sin. And the separation that this caused from God, the, the lines of we are now without blemish, free from accusation. This is that removal of that guilt, the removal of the shame that we can be in God's presence but it also speaks towards a freedom too. It also points us towards that we are to be living into our faith, that we are to hold on to that hope that is proclaimed in the gospel. Now, how do we do this? How do we stay firm in the hope that the gospel presents for us? What is it that, that draws us into the ability to live into that freedom. Well, it's certainly not something that is rooted in our own strength and our own ability to draw ourselves into that. Our help comes from God, specifically in the Holy Spirit working in us. As Christians, we are Holy Spirit-driven people. The Holy Spirit is not just some mystical power that we sense on, on Sunday mornings or, or during worship. The Holy Spirit is a person of the three-in-one God who draws us into union with God in the here and the now. It is through the Holy Spirit that the presence of God can be affirmed. And this enables us to move forward and continue in our faith. And this is something that impacts us in the day-to-day -day living in being able to be people who live into what the opposite is of, of what we find in here, the, that we were enemies in our minds uh, because of our evil behavior, that we can live into being people who model this partnership with God and what God is doing in the renewal of all things. Uh, the Catechism makes a similar point to what we find in here, especially when it comes to the Sixth Commandment. Uh, it points towards the fact that we are, we're freed from our sin, we're, we're no longer stuck in bondage, but that we are also equipped into living as people of love. 
And I think this is most clearly seen in that third question and answer. Uh, the third one looks at the answer and says, well, it's, it's not enough that we, that we don't murder, but also that we are freed from hatred and vindictiveness and jealousy. And then it asks, is it enough that we don't murder our neighbor in that way? And it responds with a firm no. It expands it by saying, by condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle and merciful and friendly towards them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Notice how it directs us here, uh, that, that it starts off that we are to be a community directed in love. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we have those familiar lines or that familiar line from Matthew chapter 7, uh, but there's also that echo of Matthew chapter 22, this, this command, the most fundamental command of loving God and loving other that these statements are rooted in. When we look at these different commandments from this positive stance, we, we can see that the opportunities for loving our neighbors are, are endless, they're, they're limitless. We have unending possibility to, to offer this help. We have the creativity in the different ways that we can be supporting and showing love to those around us. Uh, I love just, uh, because we don't have unlimited time here, I just want to focus in on one of the, the passages that's here, and that's the Exodus chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. And I think this is a great passage to look at partly because it happens in a section of Exodus that we don't read that often. It's, it's part of the series of laws. And maybe not everyone is aware of what's in there, but there are some rich things when we look into these laws. For instance, this passage specifically has to deal with loving our enemies and caring for our enemies. Um, in case... We thought that that was a New Testament invention, uh, that that's something that's distinct from the Old Covenant, New Covenant. We find that specifically here in Exodus chapter 23, where it says, If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help your enemy with it. Very practical, yet challenging law to include in a, in a set of law codes here. Now, I recognize there's a bit of a distance between us and this. I, I don't have an ox or a donkey. I don't know many people that do. But, but the principle that runs behind it is something that's not hard to see how we can be applying this in our lives. The first part here is basically saying that, that you can't play a game of finders keepers when you find something that you know belongs to someone else, even if that person is someone that you don't like, who doesn't deserve to have that thing. In fact, you can't even, it's not even that you're commanded not to take it, you can't even just leave it there and say, well, they were reckless with it, they probably deserve it. Um, we actually have to go out of our way, take that thing and bring it back to that person, even if that person is our sworn enemy. And if that's not enough, the very next line here says, 
If you see the donkey of someone who you hate that falls down under its load, you have to help that person. Now, if you see someone struggling, you have to help them out even if they hate you. And I don't know what the feuds look like in your communities. I remember seeing in the news um, this, I don't know if I've brought this one up before, uh, but there was uh, neighbors and someone was putting up a fence and it was a little too high for their strata code, so the strata made them bring it down a little bit lower. And they weren't too happy with that, so instead of cutting it and making it look nice, they just ripped down the fence at the height so it was all jagged. And then they went to the other side, and they, they looked through the code to make sure that this was okay. There wasn't any codes around what colors of paint. So they got the brightest different colored fluorescent paints and painted the sides that the neighbors would have to see. Their sides still looked nice and clean. You could see there was some unhealthy relationships going on in that neighborhood. Now imagine you're in that neighborhood, and that your neighbor just did that, and the very next day, you're driving by, and you see their car has broke down, there's engine failure, the, the hood is up. The proper response is not a fist pump and a high-five to your spouse <laughs> and a snide comment about how it serves them right. Uh, in the spirit of the law that we're reading here, you're, you're supposed to actually stop, to go out of your way to help that person out. And, and kind of like ridiculous examples aside, uh, this is something that's really hard for us to do. It's hard to go out of your way and help the very people who are against you. But this is the type of people that, or this is the type of action that is expected from people who are living into the freedom that we experience from God's grace. This is a freedom into the call of loving our neighbor. And I, I want to invite you to, kind of, to consider uh, what ways and what parts of your life can you bring this into being? Is it your literal neighbor? Is, is it a coworker who you don't necessarily get along with and you won't go out of your way to help if you're struggling? Is it someone in your class? A family member you don't get along with? Uh, what does it mean to... Seek the peace and well-being of the people around us, even our enemies. The, the question that we see here when we look at the Ten Commandments, uh, the question that we come with isn't necessarily, what do I need to do? Um, as Christians, we don't simply look at them as this checklist of things that we do or we do not do. But the question that we come with it is looking at them through the lens of what ought I be now that God has invaded the world through Jesus? Uh, there, there's a difference between those two types of questions. We're not simply looking at what we have to do, but looking at a fundamental change of who we are and how we act in the world. How do I live under this new rule of Christ? How do I show that I am free and free to live into the joy and the love that I was created for? Far from being a, a series of restrictions that we find in the Ten Commandments, when we look deeper, we see this reflection that we're called to live. Uh, we're called to live in a way that makes these laws irrelevant. 
with such deep love that we no longer need to consider these things. Now, I invite the, the worship team to come forward as we consider that we don't need to do this on our own strength. Uh, we do this in and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. The Spirit, again, is not just something that equips us on Sunday mornings. It's not just a comfort for us when we're sick or when we need extra support. The Spirit equips us into day-to-day -day living to be the type of people that show love to the people that are hard to love. So let's come before God in prayer, asking that the Spirit guide us and help us to live into this life, one that is free to love our neighbors. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for who you are, the one that brings reconciliation to all things, that you have made peace through the shedding of your blood. Take the parts of us that are rotten, where we are jealous or vindictive or spiteful, and do work in us to mend us. Give us strength to face the pain that comes alongside such changes. We know sanctification does not come easy to us. As we're always putting up new locks, new things that cage ourselves in. So we pray that you give your freeing presence daily. May we be renewed day to day by the presence of your Holy Spirit to grow into people who love even those who hate us. May we be a people known in our peace-loving, our gentleness, our mercy, and protection of others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.